today on Act News Daily. We, we validated, you know, the technology works and works really well, but there wasn't enough information about daily processes after the time she feral all the way until the time she weans to give us a clear understanding of all the variables that could affect preween mortality. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Tech Tuesday here in the Ag News Daily Podcast. Jelani Howell joined today by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, today I am getting ready to take off later this afternoon for Commodity Classics. So I'm excited to hit the ground in New Orleans. It's going to be mixed weather, warmer than Iowa, but rainy. So I'll take what I can get, though. Yeah, I actually like the rain from time to time, but golly, I bet it is going to be humid as all get out. That's true, but I like it when it's humid. It moisturizes my skin. Okay, whatever makes it (laughs) work, I guess. I'm not a fan of humidity. I don't like it to the point where you sweat, but when it's like 60, 70 degrees, that's not warm enough for you to start sweating. So it's just moisturizing. Well, I am going down to Houston this weekend to watch my sister's show at the livestock show. And it is always super humid and pretty warm down there about this time, whenever we typically go. So not looking forward to that aspect, but definitely looking forward to getting to watch Corley's show and being with my family, all that good stuff. Yes, that will certainly be fun, Ashton. We got a lot of good things in store coming right up. We certainly do. And it was a good day in the car household today. My dog Atlas, he is of course adopted, has some trauma from his past life, but he played with his first toy today in the two or three months that I've had him. So I was very excited about that. So we're making moves in the car household. Oh, well, good. Good to hear that, Ashton. Well, Delaney, in terms of news, you and I both have a good bit to talk about today. So I'm going to go ahead and just jump right in feet first here with some news from President Biden. He announced a ban on Russian energy imports. And during his remarks, he said that the ban on Russian oil and other energy imports are, of course, in response to the invasion of Ukraine. However, President Biden acknowledged that the move would drive up U.S. energy and gas prices for Americans, but said defending freedom is going to cost. And I am sure, Delaney, that you've seen people mm-hmm. kind of up in arms about gas prices. And I honestly think that they're only going to, of course, go up from here after this ban and people are going to continue to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And this was a big headline that broke earlier this morning. So it really comes as no surprise. A lot of folks in Eastern Europe, including Ukrainians president, were really recommending or strongly urging President Biden to follow through with this action and stop all energy imports from Russia. So again, comes as no surprise. And we'd already seen the groundwork kind of being laid for this. But yeah, as you look at national gasoline prices, they reached an all-time high today of 417 per gallon, which pushes past the previous record set back in 2008 at $4.10. So we do have record high gasoline prices, but I'm going to be wagering to guess most people saw the writing on the wall and hopefully have those fuel needs locked in for this spring 
season. If you don't, uh, might be looking, might be needing to look into some alternative options because crude oil continues to rally as well, up over $125 per barrel today. And that's one thing I did forget to talk to Jim McCormick about yesterday on our Market Monday segment, Ashton, that hopefully I'll uh, catch up with Jim later this week at Commodity Classic and get his take on that. Because I know if you don't have those fuel needs locked in, it's just like fertilizer, just like chemicals and some of those other inputs. Uh, going to increase your break-even point this year. Well, you know, Delaney, you bring up fertilizer, and that's another thing that people are really going to have to lock in here if they already haven't for, you know, the upcoming spring season. But we have another black swan event that could be happening in the fertilizer industry, specifically in Canada, because last week, roughly 3,000 Canadian Pacific Railway workers voted 96.7% in favor of going on strike starting March 16th if a collective bargain agreement is not penned. CP rail halts would mean trouble for ag stakeholders like Nutrien, who has already spoken out against the planned strike. Company reps said that Nutrien relies on rail and a CP Teamsters strike could impact our ability to move potash, nitrogen, and crop inputs to our retail locations across Canada ahead of the upcoming spring application season, potentially reducing crop yields later in the year. The global food supply is already stretched and cannot afford further negative impacts at this time. Nutrien has since urged the Canadian government to actually intervene before another transportation crisis arises. And of course, Canada has already been hit with the trucker strike that has been um, going on. Honestly, don't even know if we have an update there on whether or not Mm -hmm. that has completely ended. I haven't seen a whole lot since that has really um, hit kind of a climax. But this is just another thing, you know, we keep continuously talking about employee strikes, the fertilizer industry, crop input the global food supply chain. It's just a a crazy 2020 and we're only really in March here. So I don't know what else. It's it's actually 2022, Ashton. Did I say 2020? (laughs) You did, but I think that just is very fitting because 2020 through now 2022 have just felt like these years that have gotten smashed together with all these craptastic, I made that word up, events that have happened. Um, and when, you know, you talk and look at the continuing situation in Russia, Ukraine, that's really playing out in a lot of different ways. You know, energy, supply chain, continued issues with fertilizer. Uh, obviously, the commodity markets are continuing to react to any news that comes out of that area. But while we're seeing commodities react to that news coming out of Russia, Ukraine, of course, they're a big wheat producer. We're also continuing to see Not such great news come out of the United States as well as High Plains winter wheat conditions continue to disappoint. Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas released their state crop progress reports yesterday afternoon, and Kansas and Texas both saw a percentage point drop from the week prior, coming in at 24% and 7% good to excellent, respectively. Oklahoma actually saw a 4% increase from last week, but still only sitting at 15% good to excellent with that winter wheat crop that's coming in there. And as we continue to watch persistent drought conditions in the Western portion of the United States, 
Uh, Texas winter wheat currently sits at 75% poor to very poor, while Oklahoma's sitting at about 57% poor to very poor. Because as we think about the Black Sea region, Ashton, about a third of all global wheat, you know, Jim mentioned it yesterday, about a third of all global wheat exports come from that area. And with the United States also having issues, potentially Australia and some of the other countries Jim mentioned yesterday, we really don't have a lot of room for any sort of fluctuation here. So that's certainly a story that we're going to be watching, especially tomorrow as we see the March WASDE report come out. As Jim mentioned earlier this week, you know, USDA is going to be taking into account moment by moment up to the date information of what is coming down the pipeline for Russia and Ukraine in the Black Sea region. So tomorrow's WASDE report could be actually a market mover. And we're expecting to see lower ending stock estimates of corn and soybeans for the 21-22 season. Also an updated view of South American crops as well as what's going on in Ukraine but certainly could be an interesting report that we see dropped tomorrow at 11 a.m. Central Time. Well, Delaney, speaking of wheat here, China is also looking at its worst winter wheat conditions in history. China's Minister of Agriculture and Rural Affairs reported that their winter wheat conditions aren't in good shape. Rare heavy rainfall last year delayed the planting of about one-third of their usual wheat acreage. A survey of the winter wheat crop that was taken before the start of winter found that first and second grade crop was down more than 20 percentage points. Farming experts and technicians told the Ag Ministry that the crop conditions are really set to be the worst in history here. So I'm going to continue to keep my eyes out on this. Of course, I think that uh, we'll hear a little bit more from the WASDE report tomorrow, but just another thing to keep our eyes out on. Absolutely. And here's another interesting piece of news that I didn't really know quite how to share on the podcast yesterday because we were kind of reacting to it real time. But last Friday at the cooperative that we deliver grain to, they posted $0 bids or the cash price was listed at zero. And I was kind of trying to understand how this happens. Sounds like this is actually more of a common situation than what I originally thought. But there are many cooperatives, especially around the state of Iowa that I've seen. I haven't looked beyond this state, to be honest with you. But Landis, Mid-Iowa, and others have announced that they would cease cash grain bids. So Landis and Mid-Iowa, both on Friday, put out $0 cash bids, meaning they were not going to pay producers if they brought in cash grain or grain sales for cash prices. And I thought this was a little strange, but apparently this is more of a normal practice than what I thought. They uh, talked to Dr. Chad Hart about this successful farming did in the article that I read today. And he said, it's not just Landis doing this. And it's in extreme situations like this, where facilities, commercials are nervous about the potential risk and just decide sometimes to pull bids off for a day or two and then jump back in later when they feel the markets are a little bit more settled. So he said, due to the extreme volatility we've been seeing right now, due to you know Russia, Ukraine, continued commodity market rallies, it's a actually really common practice to see grain elevators put in a $0 bid and discourage farmers from bringing in those grain crops. So 
certainly be curious to hear if any of our listeners have experienced this at their local elevators as well. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and shoot us a note at Ag News Daily. But uh, that certainly threw me through a loop. Well, Delaney, something else that threw me for a loop is how people are feeling about the Midwest carbon pipeline. You and I have mm-hmm. had this debate mm-hmm. before on whether people are actually going to want to give it up their property rights and maybe, you know, how much that would take for them to want to give up their property rights, things of that nature. And landowners in Iowa have kind of not surprisingly been slow to give up their property rights to this 2000 mile proposed pipeline. And it's of course cutting through the U.S. Midwest. So taking up quite a bit of private land there. But uh, anyway, so Summit Carbon Solutions said that last month it had negotiated easements with hundreds of landowners along the pipeline route, marking a major advance for what it hopes will become the world's largest carbon capture and storage project. But in Iowa specifically, the state that would have the largest section of the proposed pipeline, but they had secured just 40 land easements, and it only covers about 1.9% of the 703 miles that they need in Iowa. So I don't know what they're going to do here. I don't know if they're going to try and reroute this, how much they're going to potentially pay these people to give up their land or what's going to happen here. But I thought it was interesting. Just 1.9% is secured for Iowa. So I don't know what they're going to do here. I don't know if it's at a standstill or what, but I thought that was pretty interesting. I think part of it will be to see if the government steps in. I've heard of some rumored legislation going on in the state of Iowa that would potentially force the pipeline through. I don't know, to be honest with you, how that works with, you know, eminent domain or those land rights that farmers would potentially have to sell. But I have heard some some rumors of potential legislation that may or may not be public knowledge yet uh, that would force the hand of farmers in this instance. So could be an interesting ride, Ashton. It certainly could be, but you know, I'm buckled in and I'm ready to see what happens. I am as well. But speaking of buckled in, you needed to be buckled in for today's commodity price action. But before we get to that, Ashton, I also wanted to share some fun, short, quick news here before we hop into the markets. And that is today is International's Women's Day. And I thought this was fun because obviously this is a woman-led podcast and we both work in agriculture, but in the United States, there's approximately 1.2 million women farmers and ranchers that account for about 36% of the country's farm production. So I certainly appreciate that today. I saw that posted by Farm Her as they are celebrating Uh, International Women's Day today. So if we have any women farmers or women agribusiness folks listening, congratulations for working in an industry where we are continuing to push the needle in the business of agriculture. Delaney, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I almost forgot that it was International Women's Day. So I'm glad that we had that little bit in the podcast today. But other than that, I am all out of things to talk about today, of course, other than the markets. 
Absolutely. Well, as I mentioned, that was another volatile day today, a little bit of a roller coaster ride as I thought markets were going to finish. Well, I should say I thought corn was going to finish in the red, but we seem to do a little bit of a reversal today where wheat finished significantly lower and corn and soybeans finished higher for today. Taking a look at the May corn contract today, up two and a quarter cent, close at 7.53. Dece new crop corn added just a penny, settling the day out at 6.43 and three quarters. In soybeans today, we saw pretty big moves to the upside in anticipation for tomorrow's potential cut coming in the WASD report. May soybeans added 30 and a quarter cent, close at 16.89 and three quarters. The November up 20 and a quarter cent, closing the day out at 14.73 and a quarter. As I mentioned, wheat had significant movements to the downside today, trading uh, yeah, a little bit over the limit today in, in uh, Kansas City wheat. And Chicago wheat saw pretty significant cuts today as well, especially when you look out to the December, which shed 38 cents in the Chicago contract to close at 10.10 in the Casey Winter Wheat Complex, Hardwood Winter Wheat Complex. May today down 52 cents to close at 11.99 and a half. The Dece down 20 and a half cents to close at 11.21 and three quarters. Hopping over into the livestock pits today, we saw green across the screen. April live cattle added $1.15 to close at 139.05. The June up $1.52 and a half, settling the day at 135.45. Feeder cattle today had continued green on the screen as the April contract added 65 cents to close at a buck 60.32. The May up $1.40 to close at 166.30. And I'm just pulling up a chart here, but you know, we had seen a pretty ugly sell-off since the high was put in around 177. So Pierce, we are trying to call claw our way back to that point. As I mentioned, lean hogs also higher today as well, with the April contract added $2.65 to close at $102.95, still fighting there around that $100 mark. May hogs today up $3.15 to close at $108.22 and a half. Lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. April up 61 cents to close at 21, excuse me, $24.58. The May up 57 cents to close at $24.67. Ashton, without further ado, fill us in on who we're chatting with for today's Tech Tuesday interview. Today, we are talking to Matthew from Swine Tech. For today's Tech Tuesday interview, we are talking to the founder and CEO of Swine Technologies, or Swine Tech, Matthew Rhoda. Matthew, thank you so much for chatting with us today. No problem. Thank you for having me. So before we really get talking about Swine Tech here, because you guys do have quite a bit that you're offering, folks, I want to know a little bit more about you and your background in the pork industry. Well, I was born into the commercial pork industry is the way I like to say it. Uh, my grandfather raised a few hundred sows and my dad managed 8,000 sows on four 2000s. And so from a very young age, I was involved helping as little as I could. It was probably more in the way than anything. And as I got older, I got more and more and more involved until I eventually managed a farrow to finish um, operation on the sow and uh, nursery side. and. And then, uh, yeah, eventually went to the University of Iowa to study genetics and biotechnology and was planning on becoming an obstetrician until I decided to start swine tech. 
Yeah. And it's been quite some time since we had you on the podcast, Matthew. I think we had you on, it's probably been two or three years now. And I think you're kind of just at the infancy of swine tech. So give us an update. Where are you guys at? I know you've got some new products that you've launched recently. Uh, Give us the thousand foot view. The thousand foot view is we're helping producers in the US and Canada better manage their people and pigs with a platform called PigFlow which is really focused on helping people become less stressed by improving the organization and communication of everyday tasks in the farm. And that's been a lot of fun for me because we've been able to really figure out a way to communicate and teach and reinforce the correct behaviors of what it means to operate and flow a sow farm while helping people all over the place. And so it's been a lot of fun. So Matthew, where has swine technologies really gone since we last spoke? Like Delaney said, it's been some years. So you guys surely have grown since then. Where has this journey really taken y'all? Yeah, so this journey's been a crazy one. We had where we had our product SmartGuard, and we still have our product SmartGuard, which is a voice recognition technology that could identify when a piglet was getting laid on and then alert the sow to stand up with chiropractic technology using a low stimu- low uh, electrical stimulus to get the sow to sit up and get off of that piglet. And we'd gone through university trials to prove that it was less stressful than a person getting a sow up. We had gone through commercial trials and validated that we could reduce crushing by just over 30%. And we had validated on some farms that we could wean as many as 0.4 pigs more per litter. But one thing we were having a really hard time wa- with was that most of our farms that were seeing a reduction in crushing at the time of the removal of the device, which was three days into those piglets age, we would see some farms wean more pigs and some farms not wean more pigs. This was really frustrating because it really felt like we were doing our job. Uh, We had video surveillance that proved it was doing its job. But at the end of the day, it's not a smart investment for a producer if you're going to save a pig and it's going to die anyways, right? So we had to try to get to the bottom of why some farms weren't weaning the pigs that we were saving. And in all of that research, we found that it had nothing to do with body weight. Uh, Even found that two thirds of layons don't actually occur when the mother's laying down. It's when she's rolling, uh, rolling around. And uh, we found that uh, pig chasing teats when she's rolling is why a lot of the bigger pigs get head under layons. And so we learned a lot, but we, we validated, you know, the technology works and works really well, but there wasn't enough information about daily processes after the time she farrows all the way until the time she weans to give us a clear understanding of all the variables that could affect pre-wean mortality. And so we met with producers and tried to understand what we could do to try to better report on the utilization of technologies. And they said, you know, that's, that's important. But at the end of the day, we're still trying to figure out how we can become more compliant and aware of what's happening on our basic processes. And so we started to work with a guy named Randy, who's had a pretty successful background in the swine industry, and he encouraged us to go look at other industries. So we even went to Culver's. We looked at Culver's onboarding approach and everything they did there, meat processing, manufacturing, trying to figure out what was it that made it so easy to understand labor and throughput and efficiencies and what we really came to find was that none of those environments were in any way very comparable to the sow farm. I mean, at an admin level, maybe, but really when you walk into the farm, it's not about manufacturing and throughput. It, it, you want to have good throughput, but really it's about quality of care. 
And so we started to look at healthcare a bit more, uh, started working with uh, hospitals, other software companies, nursing homes, and, and even some really big healthcare companies as well. And what we found was that there is an incredible amount of similarities between healthcare and animal agriculture. And the first is that they're both low margin businesses. The second, they're labor constrained. Labor is the biggest challenge. And the third is quality of care is the metrics of success when we look at on-floor work. And so both industries are also very similar because when you're not in the farm or when you're not on the floor helping patients, it's about throughput. It's about operational efficiencies. But the moment you step on that floor or the moment you shower into that farm, it's about quality of care. Well, healthcare it also had a lot of the same challenges that we had with SmartGuard and what a lot of tech companies have in, in getting that last step of the mile to succeed. An example would be computer vision to identify sick animals, sick pigs. We can identify it accurately, but if the, the response to that sick animal varies at all, then we're going to have varied outcomes, which means variable in the ROI. And if we have a varied ROI, it's not a predictable ROI, and producers are probably not going to be all that excited to jump in and spend all that money. Well, Healthcare had a similar problem. Nurses or patients had all the ways to communicate they need help. But when a nurse walked into a hallway, she'd see six lights on. Well, how is she supposed to know which one's the highest priority? And maybe she goes to the wrong one in regards to order and somebody waits an hour. Well, they actually implemented workforce management software to allow nurses to become more aware of the priorities, more organized in regards to daily tasks and improve the way that they could communicate to one another uh, throughout the workday. And really what this gave regulatory agencies, families, and admin staff was an understanding of process compliance as well, quality of care compliance. And that changed the game for healthcare and long-term patient care. And so we worked with these companies, and we basically, inspired by healthcare, built patient management for pigs. <laughs> We've been working now with close to 100,000 sows and companies all over the place, and it's just been a, it's been a really good success uh, up to this point. And, and I think that a lot of that has to do with a lot of the due diligence that we did to try to understand the problem at its, at its root core and then figure out who else faced this problem and what did they do to solve it and to learn from their mistakes as opposed to going out and making even more of our own. So that's, that's what we've been up to. Yeah, you guys have certainly been staying busy and making some waves. But I think when we talked to you back in, I looked it up, it was 2018. So it's been quite some time. And I think at that point, you are just coming online and starting to work with producers at a commercial level. But obviously, now you've been in the marketplace for a few years. Tell us about some of the experiences that producers have had in implementing this system. What kind of ROI have they seen? Yeah, so on the SmartGuard side, uh, we'll kind of push that to the side because that's a working product that we are still working with, but it's not the one that we're pushing the most right now because it. we think that this platform is really essential in successfully bringing a technology like that to the market. But with a product like PigFlow, what we're seeing is up to a 45% reduction in stillborn short-term and, and a long-term sustained 25% reduction. But, I mean, a good number to go off of would probably be around an average of 17% reduction in stillborns, which, given our cost structure and, and the, what pigs are worth, is about a 4-to-1 ROI. 
before we even talk about the efficiencies of communication and of sow care and pig care, that's just tied to one of our features, which helps people better organize and manage the birthing of sows and prioritize sows that are more at risk than others. So that's, that's kind of a number we'd go off of. We like to say that we're providing a framework that can help us constantly refine our processes, refine our operations to maximize productivity, get as close as we can to the biological limits of the system, and really help producers make the most of the genetic potential that they're already paying for and that some farms are taking advantage of, but others are having a hard time getting to. And a lot of that comes down to our people, our processes, and just making the life of individuals in the farm that much less stressful and that much, and, and really clarify the purpose of everything going on. Well, Matthew, it's no secret that you guys have had a interesting and exciting journey here since the last time that we spoke. And you guys even have a podcast that you're doing for Swine Tech. So why don't you go ahead and throw out where folks can listen and where they can find you out online? Yeah, so we started the Popular Pig Podcast about the same time we started Pig Flow, really gearing towards how do we help people better understand the purpose and I think there's so many amazing stories in this industry that aren't often told. And we wanted to be a vessel for that. And we also wanted to be a resource for producers or people in the industry to hear people talk about things that are occurring outside of our industry, but are very related and applicable to what we're dealing with. And so if you go to popularpig.com, you can hear from individuals such as Jimmy Tosh and Wendell Murphy and and uh, all the way out to the uh, a director of marketing in NASCAR and famous speakers and and leadership conferences. It's it goes all over the board, and we'd love to have you have you listen and share. Uh, you can also get a hold of us at swinetechnologies.com or pigflow.com and reach out at any time if you'd like to learn more. Well, Matthew, again, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us once again. Thank you. Thanks again there to Matthew for coming on and chatting with us for Tech Tuesday this week. Delaney, I'm sure that you're going to get some really great Tech Tuesday stuff at Commodity Classic. So folks, tune in next week as we fill you in on what went down in New Orleans. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.